Happy New Year's Eve to you all. Uh, for those who are visiting, if I haven't yet met you, my name is Steve. I'm the, the pastor here at Eastgate. Uh, one thing I thought was interesting is that, you know, we do this time where people get up and chat and think, oh yeah, this is what we, yep, the people who are regular here go and meet the people who don't know one another. When it was said, get up and meet, introduce the people around you, I noticed, sorry to point you out, Georgia just turns around first time here, oh, I'm just going to greet and say hello to everyone. And that was great, that encouraged me. Now, if you're visiting, um, what we normally do when it comes to, to preaching, we tend to preach through whole books of the Bible. Like the last book of the Bible that we preached the whole way through was the book of Exodus. Um, then we had some sermons around, around Christmas. Um, today, is again, is going to be another topical one. And next week, we're going to start a six-week, I suppose, topical series of, of God's story, of how God's plan of the Bible start to finish is one um, united story and how that all fits together. Um, but then we will be going back to our regular habit of reading through books, so probably mid-February we'll begin looking through the book of Acts. But, so that's what we normally do, but um, we also do topical sermons from time to time or topical series from time to time, and this is one of them. So let's open up with the word of prayer as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, oh, we are so thankful for a, a time to, to gather together as your people. Uh, to gather together to encourage one another, to sing uh, praise to our God who has uh, created all things, who is worthy of all honour and praise. Uh, Lord, we thank you that even though we have so frequently turned our back upon you, uh, you are a loving God who entered into the mess of our world, uh, not, to, not to punish it, but to provide the way by which we can be saved. Uh, Lord, you do have a, a wonderful plan for our life, and Lord, we praise we... Um, Look at that theme and that topic this morning, uh, that we might know something of the joy that, of being part of your precious plans uh, for our lives and your, and your overall big plan uh, for, the, for this world in which we live. So Lord, we pray that you would work by your spirit to, to convict us, to speak to us, that we would hear your very voice speaking to us, that Lord, you would change our hearts to see you more clearly and to respond to you in a way to which you are tru- truly with. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I've got to admit, I was really, I kept tossing up as, you know, giving a, a sermon a title, and I thought, God's plan for your life. That's what, that's what first came to mind, and I kind of didn't like it. There was something within it that kind of felt like it should be on the front of a book in the Quran with a guy with big pearly teeth out the front from Texas. And then I thought I was going to change it. No, no idea who that could be. Then I thought, so what? I wanted that title because it suggests that God actually does have a plan for our life. I could change it to something else, but I didn't want to leave out the idea that God actually does have a plan. God actually has got a purpose in this life for us. And if he does have a plan, then it's important that his people actually know what that is, that we know what it means to live as his people. I mean, the very fact that God created tells us that he has a reason. You don't make stuff just because you're bored and you need to pass some time. You've got, a, you've got a purpose or a plan or something you're hoping is an outcome. It'd be a shame for anything to exist and never serve the purpose for which it was created or for which it was purchased for. Anyone who's moved houses knows you, you clean out all your cupboards and you find stuff that you forgot you even had. Sometimes you even stumble across stuff and you go, oh, I 
If I only remembered I had this, this would have been so useful on this occasion, this occasion and this occasion. But it's been sitting there in a cupboard, not serving its purpose. But if God has got a purpose, and he's got a purpose for those who he's called to himself, it's probably important that we know what that is. If our life is to have any sense of meaning and purpose to it, then we probably need to know what the purpose was for which God has called us to himself. There's an age-old saying, I think it was one of the lecturers I had when I was at Bible college, kept saying this one. If you aim for nothing, you're likely to achieve that nothing. Now, if God has a purpose, he has some things that we are designed to be aiming for that should bring our life meaning and purpose... That should be our aim. This should give us a purpose and a meaning. But if we aim for nothing, just think, I'll just cruise along, that's probably where we'll get. But as followers of Jesus, what are we to aim for? It's all good and well to know that God might have a plan for us, but does he give us clues? How does he communicate what he desires for us in our lives? Now today, Ray has already pointed out that it's New Year's Eve. Now, it's often a time when people make resolutions which in their mind thinks of, what do I want to achieve this year? And you guarantee everyone's going to be healthier, they're going to lose this amount of weight, they want to take up this new hobby or to get this promotion at work or to pass their exams at uni or, or whatever it is. But you notice something about those lists, and there's nothing wrong with the listing of themselves, but it's like that, what do I want for me? And this morning, what I want us to think about is a more important thing is, what does God want? What has God said that he would desire for the life of those who are his children? And how do I know what God wants? How do I know what is his will for my life? It's funny when you ask that sort of question, what is God's will for my life? Usually when people ask that question, they mean one of three things. They usually mean, who am I going to marry? What job am I going to do? And... Where am I going to live? And you think, if they're the three most important questions in our life, the Bible's probably going to touch on each of those three things. But the Bible, which is the the light to our path, lamp to our feet, doesn't tell me which house to buy. Doesn't tell me which job to get. Doesn't tell me who I should marry or, or when I should marry or if I should marry. And this tells us something. This tells us that God's priorities are probably a little bit different than ours. If the Bible is the word of God and if it's all sufficient, if it tells us everything we need today, like in 2 Timothy 3.16, the word of God is inspired by God, is useful for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness, the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So if we're given everything that would make us complete and equipped for everything we need, then we could do well to learn from God. What are his priorities? What is he saying are the things that are most important for us to address? To give you a bit of an idea of where we're headed, this is what we're going to look at this morning. That God has a plan. How does God communicate that plan? What is God's plan for all who are his followers? And then fourthly, um, what are God's specific plans? Or how do we understand God's will and leading in things where the Bible doesn't give specific instructions? As we looked at our reading, there were a number of indications that God does have a plan, wasn't there? We read there in verses 4 and 5, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, to do something far in advance, to plan something in advance, usually means it's important. 
Now, things we plan miles in advance, things like weddings or moving or something like that, if it's important, you plan in advance and you have a reason why you plan it. I just saw a little tap over there to remind someone that they may not have planned too many miles in advance. But the purpose, he says, and the reason why he's planned in advance, there was an outcome that we should be holy and blameless before him. So he planned miles in advance before the foundation of the world to call an unholy people, to transform them and change them, to make them a holy and people blameless before him. He predestined us for adoption to himself for sons through Jesus according to the purpose of his will. So all of these things are part of the broader plan that God has a will and a purpose. And then verses 9 and 10, you see sort of a summary of God's big plan of all time. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. So God has a purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, that's, that's Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. Now this is God's big plan of all time, is to unite all things in Christ, to bring all things in heaven and on earth underneath Christ. That gives us yet another indication that Jesus wasn't, sending Jesus into the world wasn't a plan B, that God had chosen people in Christ before the foundation of the world, that his plan for all time was to unite all things in Christ. And when we come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, when we become children of God, one of the terms the Bible uses it says we are united with Christ. So when we come to faith, we enter into that very plan of God to be part of things united in Christ. And we enter into that plan. We enter into that best place, the place for which we were created for, into relationship with him, that we would be underneath his rule. That's the place where there is blessing. We'll see that play out over the next six weeks as we look at God's big plan um, from Genesis to Revelation. We'll see that the place where God's blessing is for his people is to live in obedience under his rule. But there's other places where we've got indications that God has a very intentional plan for our life. In Romans 8, 28 and 29, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So when God calls the people, it's for a purpose. And he goes on to say what that purpose is. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So he says he calls the people for a purpose and that purpose, the fancy words that use here is conform to the image of his son or in simple terms, his purpose in calling a people to himself is to transform them, to make them like Jesus. That's God's big plan. Call people to himself so that they might be holy and blameless before him to bring them into united with Jesus and to become like Jesus. Now so far that's all pretty broad. But how does God reveal, how does he communicate that plan to us? You might think, I've come to trust in Jesus. I know he's got a plan. I want to live as being under that plan. I want to know that purpose. I want to be obedient to that. But how does he lead me in that? Now, I've been in circles where someone said to me, Steve, I don't need church. don't need people. I don't need the Bible. I just need me and the Holy Spirit. That's all I need and, that, and everything's going to be good. Now, there's a slight smidgen of truth within that. 
I mean, Jesus himself did say in John 16, 13, that when he said the Holy Spirit, he would guide you into all truth. However, there's a problem. How do you know that every desire you have, every impulse you have, or every thought that comes to your mind, how do you know what things are from the Holy Spirit? I mean, it's, it's fair to say that everything the Holy Spirit does lead us into will be into all truth. But I can tell you on any given day, all sorts of weird things pop into my head that I haven't planned, I haven't prepared for. And I can tell you, not all of those are the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you just one novelty, silly example. This week, Sarah and the girls are going down to spend some time with my brother's family in Sydney. And I thought to myself, now I wonder... If I was to get some aluminium foil, cut it out into the shape of a gun and put it into their luggage, is that going to set off anything at the airport? Now, I'm not going to do it, but that thought came to my head. Now, that's an example of something I hadn't planned, I hadn't prepared my mind that direction, but it just came in there. Now, I think we can pretty safely conclude that's not the the prompting or, or the leading of the Holy Spirit. But the truth is, thoughts come into our mind for all sorts of different reasons. It may be the Holy Spirit who places the thought in our mind. It may be something that comes from our subconscious, something that comes from our own fleshly desires. Or it may even be Satan. Satan at times will will plant thoughts into our mind that are completely contrary to the work of the Holy Spirit. So just because something looks appealing or sounds like a good thing or you desire to do it isn't a good measure to decide whether or not something is actually the voice of the Holy Spirit. You need to have some objective measure by which you can say, okay, this thought just come to me. Is this something that I should follow or is this something stupid like cutting up some alfoil and putting in your wife's luggage? Not doing it, promise. I mean, if it's our subconscious, now if it's something that's coming from our own personal desires, of course it's going to seem like a good idea because it's what deep down we want. So that's not a good measure. Or if it's something which comes from Satan... Now, he doesn't dance around with his little horns and his pitchfork. It's not going to be something blaringly off. It's more often than not, it'll just be a a minor little twist of the truth. Say, for example, that idea, I don't need anything else, just mean the Holy Spirit. The Bible doesn't describe him as being one as blatantly obvious, but one who's subtle. Who masquerades as an angel of light, Paul says in 2 Corinthians. So how do we measure and know that what this thing that's come to my mind that might appeal to me, whether that is actually something that could be from God. Now, you're probably not going to be too surprised to find out the measure that we have is what we know God has definitely said. In the Word of God, in the Bible, we know what God has definitely said, and we've already seen how God says that gives us everything to equip us and could be complete for every single good work. So we have a standard of what is God's will. We have a standard of what is God's character that we can measure these thoughts against. And as far as I'm aware, there's no references to alfoil anywhere in the Bible. It's the only place, the Bible's the only place we can go to where you can be absolutely concrete, certain every time, this is God's will. Now, there'll be some people say, unless it comes directly out of the Bible, it's not the leading of God. I'm not that way inclined. God does and can and does use other means But he's not ever going to say something that is in addition to what he's already given when he says, what I have given makes you complete and equipped for every good work. Nor is he going to give you something that is contrary to what he has already given because this is the sure and certain word of God. 
Now, it surprises me the amount of people I've known who spend so much time pursuing God's leading in all of these uncertain methods while they spend so little time coming to know what is definitely God's leading, what he has already given to us. Not only does that cause a problem of of looking in the wrong place, but also means that with the uncertain things, you don't have a good grounding upon what is certain to test these other things or whether or not they actually are from God. What we have in the Bible is clear. And God makes statements about things that are broad and for all believers. So we're going to look at what is his will for all of us as his followers. I've gone a bit too far there. God does speak about having a plan for all people. Now, those of you who know me, I'm a pretty simple kind of fella. Sometimes I need things a little bit plain and clearly stated. And you know what? There's some that are pretty plain and clearly stated. First, that's supposed to say First Thessalonians 4, 3 to 8. So forget the copy and paste that says Romans. It says, for this is the will of God. Oh, there's a pretty good indication. Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honour, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all of these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So the first blatantly stated, this is God's will, is your sanctification. Now, sanctification is just a big word. It means the process by which God works within us to achieve that purpose we saw back in Romans 8.29, to make us more like Jesus, to change our character, to change our actions. Paul regularly speaks in his letters about putting off the old nature that was corrupted and putting on the new nature as being a new creation in Christ. Now here in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul's focus is primarily upon sexual purity, but the term has a much broader use in terms of becoming more like Christ in every way. But you know how I said you need to be careful to weigh up these things that come to our mind? Some of these things to come to our mind are extremely beautifully deceptive. We can be very easily tricked by these things that come to our mind. Satan's crafty at it. Even our own fleshly desires are very good at doing that. And I've had people that I've been in conversations with me and said, Steve, I believe God's told me I should live with my boyfriend or girlfriend, that we should sleep together because we're going to get married one day and God knows that and he's ordained it. You know what I say? No, he didn't. Remember what he just said? This is the will of God. Your sanctification that you abstain. So don't tell me that God said that he said you something else. This is what he has clearly said. This is the sure and certain word of what he said. We need to be very careful. Now that, what that person has done is the thoughts come to their mind. They liked it. It's what they wanted to do. So they said that's what God told me to do. It's not what God told them to do. It's what their flesh told them to do and they wanted to do it. Let's give you another very clear and plain example. 1 Peter 2, verses 13 to 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it to be the emperor supreme or as the governors are sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of good. Thanks for the clue. That by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance and foolish people. 
Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God, honour everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the emperor. So God's very second clearly stated will of his is that we are not to be anti-authority. God has placed authorities for his good purpose. We read about that in Romans chapter 13. Now that doesn't mean you see you must do everything they do. We saw there in verse 16, remember, live as servants of God. So primarily that's defining who we are. We serve God, so we don't serve authorities who are asked to do something that is contrary to God. We see that emphasised there in verse 17, where he says, firstly, fear God, that's your highest priority, then honour the leader is the second priority that falls underneath that. So God's will isn't just that we keep laws that we like, the ones that we find convenient. One more of these blatantly obvious, 1 Thessalonians five sixteen to 18 Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now that one's not so easy, is it? Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, if, unless you've just arrived to planet Earth, and if you have, welcome to Earth, and thanks for coming on to church this morning. But unless you've just arrived to planet Earth, you realise... Nobody's life is perfect all the time. Bad stuff happens. Things go wrong. Things hurt. We suffer in all sorts of different ways. And God knew that and he says, we are to give thanks in all circumstances. Now you need to be careful with how you handle that wording. It says, give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. Like you don't just say, oh, my dog just got run over. Woohoo! Let's give thanks. But in all circumstances, whether they're good, whether they're bad, we can give thanks to God because we saw back in Romans 8, 28, he's working all things, good and bad, for our good or for our benefit, for those who love him and are called according to that purpose. So we can give thanks in all of them because we know he's going to use them somehow for our good even when we can't see it. When we don't give thanks in all things, we only give thanks in the good things, then we start to doubt. We start to doubt whether or not God is going to use those things for good. God does even use bad things for our benefit. Now, I've heard people say, if something's going wrong in your life, if it's difficult, if it's suffering, that's not the will of God. I wonder if they've ever read First Peter 4.19. It says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will... Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now, the context of the people that Peter's writing to, they are getting persecuted. And he's encouraged them saying, if you are going to get persecuted, make sure you are being faithful and obedient in the servants of God. Make sure they're not punishing you for things that you shouldn't be doing. Make sure you are being faithful and obedient. And even in the midst of you doing being faithful and obedient, um, there are some times when suffering is part of God's will. No, that doesn't mean you pursue suffering somehow to make you more godly. But don't rule out the idea that this could be part of God's plan and God's will and don't miss out on seeing the benefit of how God's going to use that uh, for your good. Now, that's not just a list of four things of saying, oh, whew, living God's life just means doing those four things and everything's sweet. Just because those four verses have the words, this is God's will in it, doesn't mean they're the only thing which is God's will. Everything in the scripts, everything he commands is an expression of his will and his desire for his people. So everything you see in the scriptures, you can say, this is God's will for me. 
So rather than sitting around saying, oh, I don't know what God's will is for my life, you've got a whole book full of God's will for your life. When you master it, come let me know. And I'll start talking about lying after that. But all of his commands are expressions of his will. And all of them are things that we are called to be as part of his purpose for our life. But we know that so many of our life circumstances, the Bible doesn't address. What do we do with those things like finding a partner or do should I have a partner, finding a job, where do I live, how do I spend my money, when the Bible doesn't give a direct answer? We've already said that the fact that God is silent on these things or on the specifics of them means they're not the highest in God's priorities or his plans for his people. Does that mean if the Bible doesn't speak directly about something, it's just free for all, do whatever you like? Definitely not. You'll find that in any decision you make, there will always be factors which the Bible does actually speak to you. I think a verse that's paramount in terms of thinking, how do I discern the will of God in things in which the Bible has not specifically stated is Romans 12 too, where he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what he says there? Renew your mind, have your mind changed from its old fleshly nature to start to think the thoughts of God and you'll know what is the mind and the thoughts and the desires of God by spending time in his word, just know what he has revealed to be his, his thoughts and his character and his desire for us. Then by seeing what is his character, we have a bigger perspective to weigh up and discern, okay, how would I apply these things into the situation that I'm going into? How can I discern God's will in the situation that's before me? How does that work in a couple of these practical things that people commonly ask? In terms of finding a life partner, do I, do I not, who do I pick? Now I can tell you, when I was, when I married my wife Sarah, now, that didn't come about because one day I was flicking through the Bible. I got to Genesis chapter 18, verse 9, and it says, God said, where is your wife, Sarah? And I thought, cha-ching. I've got a wife called Sarah, and I've got a gay finder. That's not how it worked. Now, that doesn't mean, though, that every single female born into the world is potentially God's will for my life to marry them. There are, there are things which the Bible does speak about that kind of helps guide who would fit someone that might, God may have me to marry. For example, the Bible speaks about a Christian must, believe, must marry another believer. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it talks about being unequally yoked. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it speaks about those whose husband or wife has died. It says, you're free to marry only in the Lord. In other words, you're free to marry, but you're only free to marry another believer. So there's something by way of God's leading in terms of finding a life partner. But also, if you're a man, you need to think about what does the Bible say about the role of a husband? Or if you're a woman, what's the, what does the Bible say about the role of being a wife? And you need to think, can I faithfully carry out that role with this person that I'm thinking about? So I need to make sure, yes, they're a believer. Yes, I need to make sure that I'm willing to, to love this person as Christ has loved the church and carry out um, faithfully my role as a husband as God has laid out before me in the Scriptures. But once they meet those things, there's probably a few other things, then I can probably say any of those people could potentially be the will of God. I don't believe there's just one person in the entirety of the galaxy that could potentially be the will of God, and if I marry the wrong one, that somehow um, is an ultimate disaster. 
But Sarah did become the perfect will of God the day that I stood before her on the 5th of March 2011 and I made my vows before her. Then she became the definite and perfect will of God. And also at that point in time, for me to pursue any other woman after then was definitely not the will of God. It wouldn't have been outside of the will of God had I ended up being married to somebody else who met all of the other previous requirements. What about our job, our occupation? Again, you don't want to stretch the idea of being conformed to the image of son too far to say that all Christians must be carpenters. You don't want to go into the idea that somehow being in full-time paid Christian ministry is the only way to be in the will of God. God needs people in all areas of life. God is designed to set his people on mission in his world, which means people work in all sorts of different areas so that the word of God may infiltrate in all parts of the world. But again, there are some things that we need to think about that the Bible might point us to to think about making that decision. They're they're pretty basic type of things. Like, look about the job description. Is the job description, is there something about carrying out this role that's going to cause me to require me to disobey God? then you can probably rule that out. God doesn't want to be a a professional thief, probably doesn't want me to be a prostitute or a drug dealer. You can probably safely rule out some of those jobs and many more others that I haven't bothered to think about. You need to think about what else? Is doing this job, Is what is it doing? By carrying out this job, am I facilitating others to sin? Because there's some jobs where your role itself may not uh, be causing dishonour of God, but you may actually be facilitating others to do it. What about my motive? Do I want a position of authority just because I want people to look up at me? Because I'm proud and I want people to think of me that way. Do I need to think about God's call that we need to, to if we're in a family, to provide for our family? Is doing this job going to help me to provide and, for my family and to be obedient in that sense? Now, there are all sorts of different things to think about, but there could be any manner of different jobs that you could be doing that are indeed the will of God. You don't need to be punishing yourself saying, oh, I'm doing this job, how do I know if that's the will of God or, or should I be doing this job? As long as it's not contrary to anything that God has laid out, it can be the will of God where God is choosing to use you. We need to be faithful where we are, whether we're packing the shelves at Coles, or whether we're serving in the middle of darkest Africa to a nation, that to a people who have never heard of God, both can be equally serving the very will and purposes of God. And the last of these um, regular examples people think about, is the way we use our money, uh, some of our bigger expenses, buying a car, buying a house. The Bible doesn't say, have Gorman Street anywhere in it, so I, did, I didn't have that as a guide to where I bought my house. The Bible doesn't give you indication about what sort of car you should buy unless you want to take that bit where Jesus says, I did not speak in my own accord to say that he owned a Honda. But even then you'd think, oh, maybe I won't buy a Honda because if he doesn't want to speak about it, maybe they're not any good. But the thing is, one house or a car isn't more godly than another. A person might have a small or a large house or car or an expensive or a cheap house or car And all of those could be part of God's plan or could be honouring to God. But there's still some questions to ask when it comes to buying those things. What is my motive? Do I want a particular car that's going to bring attention to me? Is it because I want the status to be known of the guy who drives this car or has this house in this location? 
Will it affect my ability to, to support my family, to give generously to, to the lives of others? Can these things be a means by which I can use to be a blessing to others? Again, it's not a case of beat myself up. Oh, I should have bought this house. This one's the will of, will of God. I'm stuck in this house. There could be so many options as long as you're considering some basic principles. So as we go into the new year, people are making resolutions. I want to think, what does God want? What would God call us to do? And we've got a whole book full of things where God has revealed what is his will. What is his plan? What is his desire for his people? Probably a good place to start is to think, I'm going to commit to reading his word regularly. I'm going to commit to renewing my mind, to soaking myself in the very things where he has revealed to us what is his will for my life. So that I might be able to discern his will not only on the things where it's specifically articulated, but also to to make wise, godly decisions on things where it's not so specific. But whatever you do, don't sit around and say, I'm just doing nothing. God hasn't shown me anything to do. Something that's not in motion cannot be directed. Like I can go out and sit in my car and be like a little kid, move the steering wheel all over the place. Car doesn't change direction at all. The, the, the wheels do that a little bit. That's about it. Hopefully not like that because my axle's broken if they were like that. But... I think it was the same lecture at Bible College. He had a lot of expressions, this guy, Ian Cathy. He says, when you don't know what to do next, do the next thing. In other words, you've got so many things that God has already laid out. This is his will for your life. Just be faithfully obedient in those small things. Just keep on going. Don't think that I'm doing nothing until there's some big zap lightning bolt experience of something major and significant. You may never have something like that. You're following in the lead and the will of God. Maybe just be through the things that he's already made known. That's perfectly fine. The Bible's full of things that are definitely his will, that are his priorities. Our job is to, to walk in humble, faithful obedience. And let's take the word for it. We've got plenty to get on with. I don't know how many commands are in the Bible, nor, and if I did, I couldn't give you a percentage of where I thought I was up to, but I can guarantee you that the hundred mark's never going to happen. I've got a whole lifelong of, of walking in these things, being challenged by these things. But don't spend your time beating yourself up on all these optional things that the Bible gives very little time to. Some people are really worried. Oh, am I doing the right thing? I don't know. How do I know if this is the will of God? How do I know if I'm rebelling against him? If it's not contradicting the values that he's already made known, that can be very easily God's will and your plan for you. Just keep going on in faithful obedience where you currently are. Focus on what he has said to be his will. Seek him. Walk in obedience in those things. The way the writer of Hebrews begins his book, he says it in this way. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he spoke to us by his son, who he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Now, the writer of the Hebrews says, now, before Jesus came, God regularly spoke in all sorts of different ways. He says, now, he has primarily spoken to us in his son, in Jesus. Now, as I said before, he can and does use other means, but primarily we should be looking to his word in the scripture, and that's by the means why we should measure anything else, and specifically says he has revealed us what his plan is for us, and the one we are to listen to is his son Jesus. 
Now, usually when you put forward your, your parting instructions to people, they, you show something of your priorities. And let's remember, Jesus' words, as he knows he's going to be returning to the Father, he says to those who are his followers, and Jesus came to him and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the resurrected Christ says, All authority has been given to me. Nothing is outside of my power and control. And therefore, this is the role that I'm sending you out on. To be making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and explaining to them all that I have commanded to you. Now, a number of you will know, and you may have seen even the ad cycling through beforehand, our community groups, which normally study individual things, the beginning of this year are all going to study through a curriculum that we're creating called um, the Discipleship Training School. Because this is the priority of Jesus, this is the call of God for all of our lives, it's one of many things, it's um, God's will for all of our lives. And so we're going to look into that more deeply. But as we head into this year, let's resolve to be a people who are led by Jesus, who are looking to him, or looking to see what he has revealed already to be his will, and who happily and joyfully will walk in obedience to the things that he lays before us, and that we will join in Jesus in his mission to make disciples of all nations. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you don't just save us and leave us twiddling our thumbs till one day we see you face to face. Lord, we thank you that our life, even now, has purpose and meaning and that you have um, sort of laid out how it is that you have called us to live. Uh, You want us to be transformed in the renewing of our mind. We want us to be walking in obedience. We want us to be uh, putting to death the things that belong to our old nature and putting on the new nature. It's your desire that we become sanctified, that we become more like your son, Jesus. And Lord, we pray, we ask that we would honestly and deeply seek after you. Uh, Lord, that we would pray to you that you would do that work within our lives to change us, to be the people that you have desired us to be. And part of that is to change and transform us to be the people you desire us to be that we would be a people who would join in you on your mission in this world uh, to make disciples of all nations, to bring the word of, of Jesus Christ to a people who don't know you, to see people come to maturity in Christ, to equip people to, to serve and to minister in all sorts of various ways. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your wonderful good plans that you have for us. Lord, we know everything you put before us is for, is for our good and therefore we can give thanks in all circumstances, both good and bad. Lord, we thank you for the one to whom we belong. And Lord, we, we, we thank you for the opportunity to be united with Christ, to be in relationship with you through your, your gracious uh, work of Jesus' death and resurrection. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.